0: Episode three of Wrestling with Sports Entertainment. Well, Wrestling with Sports Entertainment for now. I'm Mike Mansuri. That's Mark Madden. And Mark, let's get right into it. Uh, we had a little bit of an, uh, a little bit of an issue of a we'll say what's in a name last week with some of our friends over at Barstool Sports regarding the name of our podcast. And uh, you and I figured let's take it let's take the time and address it right from the top.
1: Well, it was a name similar to the wrestling podcast they do at Barstool. Uh, to me, the whole thing. Reeked of pettiness, but uh, you know we've changed the name. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I always want to get get things correct. It's now the best wrestling show. Period. Correct?
0: Oh, 100%. I know you've got more emphasis on it. You can give me give it to me one more time, Double M.
1: The best wrestling show. Period. So now instead of Barstool. Maybe Tom Arnold could be mad with
0: us. Yeah, look, we're going to try to offend and, and you know just take everyone down as we go along, but that's kind of what we're doing here, right? So we're moving on. New voyage. Uh, best of luck to the wrestling team as they uh, as they grow their stuff. We're big fans of Brandon Walker in this office and everything they're doing over there. But uh, I've never heard of him. <laughs> Look him up. He's uh he's he, he knows. Never he knows until this shit.
1: happened did I hear of him. I'm sure he's great.
0: Yeah, good good dude and he knows his shit. He's a fan of the business just like all of us. But we're moving along, Mark, and uh look at at this time right now we're uh we're just uh under four four weeks to WrestleMania and you know Look, the social media space has been kind of crawling with a lot of, lot of fact, figures, opinions, and everything else in between regarding what's going on in the world of uh, sports and entertainment. And you found yourself in, the, in, a, in a bit of a, a little back and forth with uh, Freddie Prinz Jr. Of all people, uh, talk to the people at home, Mark, what exactly went down between the two of you?
1: Well, first off, someone tell that guy he's Freddie Prinz Jr., not Sam Muchnick Jr., <laughs> the guy had a cup of coffee at WWE in a very minor and ineffectual role. And he gets on Twitter out of nowhere and starts preaching like he's Paul Bosch or, 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 or like I said, Sam Muchnick, maybe he's Vince McMahon, the third, I don't know. But he acted like he invented the business and he made one of the dumbest statements in wrestling Twitter history. And Mike, imagine what kind of ground that takes in. That's a pretty He, said, he credited and clearly he wants back in. He was like kissing the ass of Cody Rhodes and Triple H. And saying what a great job they had done making wrestling palatable to network executives, because it's so tough to get wrestling on TV. Yeah, Freddie, it's so tough to get wrestling on TV. The WWE is getting 650 million dollars in rights fees. That's how desperate wrestling executives are to keep wrestling off TV. They're paying two thirds of a billion dollars. Oh no, wait, they're paying that to actually put it. On TV, So I know what it's like when a wrestling executive doesn't want the product on TV. Jamie Kellner back in the Turner days with WCW. One of the biggest reasons for the company's demise was he just decided wrestling was too low rent and he didn't want it on Turner Networks anymore. And guess what? When the wrestling executive really didn't want wrestling on the networks, in a very short time it wasn't on the networks anymore. So what Freddie Prince said, Exactly the opposite is true. And then you know he said to me, well, I can believe that you don't believe it. Okay, condescending much? Uh, The guy, like I said, worked in wrestling for 15 minutes. He clearly is desperate to get back in. And he just said something incredibly incorrect and got called on it. And then he said later, not to me, but he said, I don't want to debate about goings on inside the business because you had to have been there. You need experience junior you were barely there yeah like i said a cup of coffee and yours got cold because they didn't ask you to do much so <laughs> please in the future freddie shut the hell up
0: look i was there for freddie's second go around with the company i, I you know look I, li- I like freddie i think freddie's a good dude uh pretty talented at what he was doing yeah, but,
1: but you yeah. like everybody mike you're not like me
0: no no i don't have as much vitriol but you know look it, it'll eventually come out mark you'll see it but you know look he yeah was he there for a cup of coffee 100 and i do disagree with him strongly you know especially you know when you make comments like that about being on the inside like he was on the inside but i think his level of exposure especially when it comes to like tv deals and all that sort he, he wasn't part of those conversations he wasn't part of those negotiations at all you know uh, for his own projects maybe but i think everything involving wwe he is completely in the dark about and i appreciate him trying to you know look have a stand and try to you know get on social media and police what's facts and what, what's fact and what's fiction but fact of the matter is you said it right 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 off the head Fox, yeah. one of the biggest, one of the biggest media companies. NBC Universal, wrestling,
1: yeah. Wrestling yeah. Wrestling wouldn't be on TV, and they wouldn't be paying so much for it. Well, look at the names. Uh, hey. I hope the guy gets back in. You know, since he aged out of the teen angst thing, <laughs> got to find something to do.
0: That's not true. I heard you were a big fan of the movie Summer Catch, but Mark,
1: Fox- actually, he's done a lot since then. But look, yeah. he, he, he's I'm, not. I'm,
0: yeah, he's not. He's not I mean, washed up. He's not. He's not a, a, he's not to, a hanger on.
1: F with the guy because what he said was just totally totally ridiculous and I was much more on the inside of WCW than he was at WWE. So don't talk down to me, please. That's that's embarrassing for both of us.
0: Well again, it's hard to make a point like his when Fox, NBC Universal and for, you know, for AEW Turner Sports are all involved. Those are three massive media companies. It's very hard to kind of stand on the on the legs of well, media executives don't want wrestling to do to be anywhere near their air that's really hard to say. But, look, USA Network has been the number one ranked cable network in years, and that's because of the ratings left that WWE gave them from Monday Night Raw. So, Freddie, I love you, but that was a very, very
1: cold and terrible take, my friend. Well, uh, it, it's it's reliable programming. That's why TV dating back to the DeMont network that's yeah. always liked wrestling. It's reliable programming. It gets an audience every week. It's a consistent audience, and, it, you know, it, it it it's there every week. That's the best way to put it and it can be there every week for decades as it has been with Raw on the USA Network.
0: No off season to our detriment and to our success. No right. off season. So Mark, we kind of hit it at the top of the show. 26 days from this day that we're recording right now, Tuesday, March 16th, happy 316 day by the way all you Stone Cold Steve Austin fans. WrestleMania over two nights at Raymond James Stadium has a tall task ahead of it in that you barely have a card going into the biggest event of the year and an event where, you know, the rumors are out there that WWE is looking to put 45,000 people in the seats between both nights. Apparently they announced yesterday that the on sale is gonna be pushed back a little bit more. I'm hearing it may be this coming Saturday where tickets will go on sale as they finalize plans between WWE and the offices. But how are you expecting you know, to, to gauge that interest on a, on a card that really doesn't have any matches.
1: Well, in terms of the the crowds and if they intend to sell 45,000 per night for two nights, Mike, I think it'll be dicey, but I think they can do it because it's the first live wrestling event with the big crowd since the pandemic. Uh, I don't know about the fly in fans and certainly none will travel from outside the United States, but I think they can, uh, Sell ninety thousand tickets over two days because of the brand name of WrestleMania, as we've talked about frequently uh, in, in the two weeks we've done this. It's the most valuable brand in the business. Well, right, it, it, it's a it's a bigger brand even than WWE. Uh, it, it it's it's going to get interest because it's WrestleMania, and they know that. That's why they have no compunction about having another event, Fastlane, you know, just before WrestleMania, which is to test that the transition to the Peacock Network, unless I miss my guess. No, no, actually no. Actually, Mike figured that out. I, I that <laughs> the, the air, but I like to, to jump in and present stuff as my own ideas, even if they're stolen. So, so uh, they have they have Examon set up now. They set a few things up on Raw last night, but, but they don't need to. The brand name of WrestleMania sells, and it goes back to something we talked about last week as well. They can never run out of money. No. You know, wrestling has a different dynamic because with the aforementioned $650 million in rights fees, the product doesn't have to be good. You don't have to set WrestleMania up. So uh, it, it'll do fine, though. It's going to have a ton of interest on the Peacock Network. It's going to sell 90,000 tickets. Uh, there might be a few missteps along the way. Maybe it won't sell out immediately like WrestleMania traditionally does, but it's going to be a big, big success. And that would go, Mike... Even if we didn't know even one match on the card yet.
0: One hundred percent. I mean, look, the brand—the the, the brand definitely sells itself. I witnessed it firsthand. You know, it's it, WWE did a phenomenal job over the course of what we're going into year thirty-seven of WrestleMania. So thirty-seven years of WrestleMania, building up this massive spectacle that the show became. Um, it, it is interesting, though, right? You know, in terms of build, we're building towards Fastlane while also kind of building to WrestleMania at the same time. Fastlane, like I said last week, if if I had my druthers, there would be no pay-per-view between the February pay-per-view and WrestleMania. It would be just an amazing build to get all your stories, all your stars established, heading into the biggest show of the year. But you do need Fastlane. From From an inside perspective, you need that test. You need to be able to see what Peacock has to offer in terms of infrastructure, technology, and everything else in between, because you can't afford to go into WrestleMania blind. You know, I remember working the first the first live show that we did on the WWE Network was NXT Takeover Arrival. This is back in February or March of 2014. And we had an issue where the WWE Network actually crashed while while Arrival, I think, had just started. You know, at a certain point, the network transitioned to a you know, to a new uh, new new carrier. I think we were working with Endeavor or somebody along those lines. And we had had issues with SummerSlam and a couple of other marquee pay-per-views where the network would just keep crashing. And, you know, look, you see it all the time now. ESPN Plus, folks watching UFC pay-per-views, they hop onto Twitter and they're going ape shit about the fact that they can't log in, they can't buy. You know, I personally had issues trying to get the last Conor McGregor pay-per-view. WWE can't take this risk going onto... Uh, an established platform like Peacock, well, established name, unestablished platform, going on to Peacock with your marquee show and having it just completely crumble. So you got to do lane. You got to get that in the books. You got to know with what you're dealing with so you can be best prepared to go into your biggest show of the year over two nights and to deliver.
1: One thing I really miss, though, Mike, and I'm I'm old and I have seen all the WrestleManias, and I remember the build to WrestleMania one with Mr. T, how crazy it was you know, T and Hogan on Saturday Night Live. I remember Andre versus Hogan, uh, WrestleMania three. I remember uh, the Hogan Savage WrestleMania uh, where they split up the mega powers. And just this incredible dramatic build that accompanied. And now- You got lust in
0: your eyes for Elizabeth.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I see lust in your eyes. Yeah, you got lust
0: uh, in your eyes for Elizabeth.
1: But uh, but yeah, so so there's none of that, and I miss that, and that doesn't mean this is bad. It just means it's different. It just means that back when they were fighting for their financial lives, they had not yet established the WrestleMania brand name, and stuff like that had to be done. It's amazing, Mike, how creative a wrestling company can get when it absolutely 100% has to be. Hey, if it I- hadn't been the WCW prodding WWE. The business never would have exploded like it did in the Monday Night Wars. If WWE had rolled over and given up and just stayed on the same course of characters like Duke the Dumpster, Drozzy, etc. Who knows where wrestling would be today?
0: I was personally a big fan of Mantar, but last year WWE proved that creativity absolutely blossoms at a time of necessity. And that was evident at WrestleMania. I mean, the cinematic matches, well, look, they'd been done in the business before Matt Hardy and the stuff that they were doing with, you know, with a uh, TNA and the ultimate deletion and stuff like that. Those were phenomenal shout out, Jeremy Borash, but you know, last year at WrestleMania, shout out Jeremy Borash. Again, you're talking about the graveyard match with undertaker and AJ, which was a cinematic masterpiece. And what a phenomenal story, no pun intended, that was told throughout that from the build mark all the way through the match itself. Like hearing AJ and Taker just shit talk each other and all the stuff that just kind of went into that presentation. The Cena-Bray Wyatt match, phenomenal. It was like an LSD trip gone wrong through wrestling, but holy shit, great story. Hell of a journey that they took people on. So, you know, that chance for creativity was on display last year. And I think, you know, now... Going into this, going into this WrestleMania, where I, you got, you have to, you have to believe that expectations are going to be very, very high, especially when you're going to be the first wrestling show with a legit full crowd, or, you know, more than a hundred people that have been COVID tested. Like, you know, y- you miss, you miss those stories, like you said, you miss that build that gives you that emotional attachment to the characters and allows you to really lose your sense of belief in whatever you're seeing and to just kind of fall in love with, with what's on your screen. It's not there right now, and I guess. My question to you is, do you need that anymore? Does WrestleMania
1: need Oh, no, that no, you, you definitely need that. Uh, I think that one reason why, you know, more people aren't watching wrestling right now is because the lack of a live crowd makes it less of a sensory experience. And I think the boys don't perform quite like they would with quite the intensity and with the timing. Like, you know, no one wanted to, you know, pop the comeback. Even though things are pre-scripted, there is a bit of leeway in there where guys can read the crowd and react off them. The best workers, the
0: best workers know how to do that. Austin, exactly. you know, always talked about it. Most of what he did in the ring was just based on feeling on how the crowd was going.
1: And furthermore, this WrestleMania, the crowd's going to be easy. I-, I hate WWE live fans. I hate them. They go there with the intention of trying to ruin the product. Sure, sure. They go there to try to go against the grain and cheer what's not supposed to be cheered and Boo, what's not supposed to be booed, their chance, et cetera. And that goes triple at WrestleMania, where where some odd things have happened dating back to when uh Hogan and Rock went at it, and you know, the, the fans engineered basically a double turn in the middle of the match at Toronto. But uh this WrestleMania crowd's gonna be so grateful to be there that I think they'll play along. I think they'll, you know, take their cues. And I think that will be to the benefit of the show and WWE and the performance quite a bit. Mark my words, it's going to be an easy crowd, not a taster's choice crowd, not a wrestling observer crowd. Well, they it will be that kind of crowd. They just won't react thusly.
0: I, I am curious to see what the uh, what the sentiment will be following WrestleMania. Just, uh, you know, I'm sure they're going to be detractors of the fact that there was a crowd there. Um, you know, folks will knock the creative whatever the case may be, but I am curious to see what the fallout will be because this really is the uh, first true kind of head-on voyage for wrestling the Super Bowl already did it and uh, reports came back that, you know, it was not a super spreader event and I'm hoping WrestleMania will follow that and kind of keep us going because look like you said, we miss live crowds There's there's something to be said about watching something especially like a live event on TV if the crowd's in it, it brings you that much more into it as a viewer
1: Yes, no question. And like I said, with this being what I'm hoping and what I guess will be an easy crowd, I think that will even be more so.
0: You know, Mark, it's pretty wild talking about, you know, where we are right now in the world, heading into WrestleMania with the crowd. And literally it was just a year ago and, you know, in a couple of days at this point where WWE had done the first show without fans. Uh, it was a SmackDown on March 13th at, at the WWE Performance Center. Uh, it was, it was a, it was a pretty wild experience being part of it. I actually produced that episode of SmackDown. Um, you know, for you as a viewer, were you intrigued on handling, you know, did you go into that with a little bit of curiosity or were you more just kind of, you know, all right, the world's
1: fucking falling apart. What the hell's
0: going on? But let's just put this on to take, take a little mental break here.
1: Well, I was more concerned about my employment Mike because without sports there's not much call for sports talk. But uh, thankfully uh, you know I stayed on and I found other stuff to talk about not sports. Well it returned you know not just now but it's it's returning to a relative sense of normalcy now. The crowds are starting to leak back in slowly but surely. But back then yeah I I wanted to watch wrestling. I wanted to watch hockey. I wanted to watch the NBA when everything resumed I was totally grateful for it. But even more so, grateful for wrestling, perhaps, because wrestling never took a break. No. And, uh, you know, I know the presentation was wrestling was altruistic. We want to make sure the WWE Universe or the AEW crowd, whoever, has something to be entertained by during these troubled times. But the reality is they kept it going because their TV contract called for them to do so. And because, like we talked about, it shows open, Mike. Wrestling is reliable programming, it never goes away. There's no off season, and it couldn't go away due to the pandemic because the networks needed it, WWE and AEW needed to keep doing it. They did it for themselves, but thank heavens they did it because we all enjoyed watching it, and uh, it was tough to read what was working and what wasn't. It still is, because the crowd determines who gets over. Right. But now with no crowd reaction, with, with no live attendance, the only metric is TV ratings, and even those are skewed, or so we keep being told, because of all the different ways you can watch wrestling and all the entertainment options, and blah blah blah. Uh, it it still it still was something to watch. That that that's not high praise, but it was something to watch, and I'm glad they kept doing it. And uh, I I think now that things are getting back to normal, like I said, the crowds will be easier, and. Um, it's not gonna be a golden age for wrestling until they get more casual viewers and get more lapsed fans back. Wrestling during the pandemic survived. And that's always been a big component of wrestling, Mike. When, when things go bad, it survives, it toughs it out. It used to be in the old days, the territory might collapse. But now, as we've talked about, the territories are too big to fail. But wrestling didn't get itself through COVID, excuse me, wrestling didn't get us through COVID. As much as it got itself through COVID. And uh here we are now on the other side, WrestleMania just around the corner, and hopefully things get even bigger and better and easier from here on out.
0: Well, it's been wild to just see how sports, you know, and the entertainment landscape in general has kind of adapted to COVID and moved along and really just kind of innovated new ways to execute what they need to execute, but also keep people entertained at the same time. You know, me speaking from personal experience, that first that first SmackDown, we produced it. You know, as if we were doing it in front of a live crowd, but clearly we weren't, you know, we we got we had the opportunity to kind of have some fun and innovate, because I think for the first time, you know, look, a a good majority of when wrestling is, you know, normalized, for lack of a better term, you're performing for the house, you know, to an extent you are performing for TV as well. But it's always that reaction in the house. Right. So for the first time, it really felt like we were working for the crowd at home. You know, and hats off to Triple H for the stuff that we did uh, that very night. You know, he was uh, he kind of led the led the charge and pulled us all through the mud because there was so much uncertainty in the air. But you know, you could really see the fun that the crew was having, that he was having, that everyone was just kind of having because it really was just so unbelievably just uncertain. There was just a a blanket of uncertainty that was going on. And at that point, I think we were three weeks uh, or three weeks or so away from what was supposed to have been WrestleMania 35 at Raymond James Stadium or 36. And, you know, you're going into an event that takes so much preparation and now you've got so many questions while the world is kind of, you know, falling around and, you know, no one really knows what's going on. There's no answer. There's no sort of path. So it uh, it was nice to get lost for a little bit in that very first show. But to see where WWE... AEW, even Impact, you know, hats off to what those guys are doing with Scott DeMora and Don Callis. But the way that these companies found a way to kind of modify their presentation, you know, WWE with the Thunderdome, AEW with what they were doing in Jacksonville and finding a way to bring people in safely and impact with their presentation. You know, I, I really, I applaud these guys taking chances and really trying to go And tell these stories in new ways, whether it be through cinematic matches, what they were doing with, you know, presentation of backstage segments and stuff like that. Uh, As a a wrestling producer, I was really in great appreciation of that. And it's really cool to just see how far things have come along and just how grand the presentation is now. You know, look, there's no replacement for fans, but I think we kind of got a little taste of something to kind of keep us invested. And hopefully it'll grow beyond on the other side of COVID.
1: I think it definitely will. I think that the relaunch that really is WrestleMania after COVID. I think it's gonna just grow by leaps and bonds from there for all the wrestling companies. And I give the performers particular credit because even though, as you know, Mike, when you do TV and everything's TV now. oh Yeah. When you do TV, you're told not to play to the live crowd because it's on TV and that's what most important. I'm sorry, wrestlers play to the live crowd. They will always take their cues from the live crowd. 100%. Uh, And and for them to perform as they did and keep their work sharp and their acting skills sharp in the vignettes and so forth with no live crowd to read off of, I give the performers a ton of credit for that. Because I honestly thought the performance level would suffer without a crowd. I mean, where it would literally be flat. And there were instances of that, but they were few and far between. And as the performers got used to no crowd being there, their work was as sharp as ever. I would say it took about maybe, I don't know, four or five weeks before they got used to no crowd, before they got used to the circumstances. But after that, everything we saw on TV was as good as it always was.
0: And it's wild, right? Like, you know, I I personally see guys like Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton, just to highlight two WWE guys, as sort of MVPs of the COVID era, if you will, in terms of what, what they did and how they elevated their game. You know, let's start with Drew. Drew McIntyre, Comes off with probably one of the craziest live reactions I had ever seen live. Mark, when Drew eliminated Brock Lesnar at the Royal Rumble uh, in twenty twenty, dumped him over, the fucking stadium went nuts. If, if 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 they could have launched themselves out, they would have. They went absolutely bonkers for Drew, and as a guy that you know lives and breathes this business, to know that he's going to WrestleMania to have this main event match, and you know, look, as he probably something he's dreamed of since he was a kid. You know, I imagine everybody that gets into the business has that moment where they imagine themselves at WrestleMania, full crowd, winning the WWE championship and having 70,000 people erupt around you. And you're going into your first main event of WrestleMania with nobody. You know, that's gotta take a pretty insane psychological toll on you, regardless if it's entertainment scripted or whatever you wanna call wrestling. These guys and these men and women at the end of the day are still performers. And crowd reaction is a very, very big part of being a performer. It, fill, it, it fills you with that, with that just electricity that you know, carries folks through performances sometimes. And to not have that on that grand of a scale is gotta be, has, has gotta be something that's so daunting to your psyche going into an event like this, and even where you go from beyond. Because like you said, how do you measure what's the metric of what you're doing really, rea- you know, really resonating with the crowd? It's not there. All you have is Twitter.
1: I felt sorry for Drew McIntyre more than any other performer during the COVID era of wrestling, because that was his big run, And it was done in front of empty props. Uh, That's not to say he won't have another big run. He's still very much in the main event picture at WWE. But for him to perform like he did, get the title, do those promos, have those matches, have those angles, and not get any feedback from the crowd. Boy, that's just again. I don't feel too sorry for him because you know some guys never get a run, right. no matter what the circumstances may be. But there's a guy who paid his dues. You know, uh, was Drew Galloway, or that, is that his name, Drew Galloway? That's his, back real,
0: that's his real name. Yeah,
1: yeah. And he—that was when he performed under an impact, correct? Correct. Yeah. I mean, there's a guy who went here, went there, paid his dues, finally got his chance, and then they can't sell tickets, and and you feel bad for that guy. But it never showed up one iota, what I'm sure must have been disappointment, Mike. It never showed up one iota in his performance, and for that he deserves credit. There were other people, well, Randy Orton's always great. And he's had oh, his yeah. runs, oh, yeah. one of the of people. But still, some of his best work was during this pandemic with no crowds there. I thought Bailey did exemplary work. She's, uh, the, 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 meta, the, the metamorphosis,
0: Oh my god, the metamorphosis of the Bailey character to where it is now, yes. unbelievable.
1: Yes, and it's funny because I thought they blew it with the original character. I thought the side pony kids hero was never exploited enough once she moved up from NXT. I felt like they didn't know what to do with her when she got to to, to WWE from NXT. But uh, you're right, the transition to this new character has been absolutely tremendous, great talker, but again, no crowds. But it didn't show in her performance. So all the people who had great runs during the pandemic, they're to be saluted just a little bit extra because it could not have been easy.
0: No, not, not at all. And you know, Mark, you know, keep in mind also for the talent themselves, you don't have live events. So now you go from a schedule where you're bumping four to five days a week to pandemic era. You're only having, if you do have a match on TV, you're having a match once every week. If that, you know, the bot, the body is an interesting thing. You know, I've never, I've never stepped in a ring, so I obviously can't speak from experience, but from talking with the talent, you know, that, that, that 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 sort of ring rust thing, while it's not like a, a long layover, your body kind of having to get readjusted to bumping once every week. I can't imagine that's got to be good for the talent. While they're probably enjoying the rest, I think it's almost like a double-edged sword. Where, yeah, but that sense of familiarity is also gone. So it may take a little bit to kind of pick steam up.
1: And they're not making as much money either. No, right? I well, mean, th- that they that they were not victimized because they're still getting their downside guarantees, but. I know during the pandemic, I mean, look how WWE cut costs. Sure. And didn't really have to because they still had all that TV money. But whenever WWE has a chance to cut costs, they're going to do exactly that. If it's the expense of the boys, that's how that goes too. But there's not a union, so who's to say that they're not right to do it? They certainly can do it. But uh, about the, the bumping, I think that the three national treasures left in American wrestling today, are the Funk Brothers and Ric Flair because they're the last three surviving traveling NWA World Champions? Yes, sir. And they would wrestle 300 to 330 matches a year, take that punishment, withstand that travel. There's nobody on earth that experienced what Dory, Terry, and Rick experienced. And you're right. Now that now that they're working like what I, I saw. In the Observer one-loss record thing for WWE, the most matches somebody worked, I think, was like 55, right? Yeah. That's an absurdly low figure for a year, and it it eases up on your body certainly, but you're not going to be the worker you can be working 50 matches a year. Uh, you can have great matches. Well, I shouldn't say that because Kenny Omega, you know, when he was in Japan, boy, he was lucky. He wrestled like what 20 matches a year, right? I, I mean, think it's yeah, the best matches
0: ever I would imagine though those guys and girls are also doing stuff whether it be working out on their own time or whatever to kind of keep that ring time up because I imagine you know there's got to be yeah. some sort of correlation like in pro sports right like in you know you look at football you look at the NFL you look at uh, MLB a lot of these guys like right you go through preseason training and stuff like that to kind of get your body in shape and prepared to, the, of the rigors of a long season uh, you know with wrestling you need that you need that ring time you need those reps if you will to kind of keep you ready because look as much as of a benefit of having time off can be, it could also be a detriment
1: because you could also get hurt. Yes. Yes. It, it's more likely. Well, I don't know, Mike, just thinking out loud, that's a catch 22 too. Yep. If you work 330 matches a year, you know, your body's going to take a gradual pounding, and you can still get that one big injury. Cause as we've learned in, in more traditional sports, those one big injuries are kind of random. They, they often come, you know, blowing out your knee or whatever, the big hit, the the bad landing in wrestling, sure. whatever. Uh Heck Sting blew out his knee climbing a cage. You know, that pushed back him winning the world title for months. That was out of nowhere. But if you only work, you know, 30, 40 matches a year, your body doesn't have as much tolerance. I, I think you're more susceptible to bumps and bruises. I-, I still maintain that the big injury, whether it's in wrestling or any athletic endeavor, it's not random per se, cause strain on a ligament or a muscle can build up sure but i'm not sure there's any way to know you can prevent it there's nothing you can do to make absolutely sure it does not happen
0: yeah i mean look the 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 human body will do what it wants whenever whenever it's going to do it you know you just kind of have to do the best you can to, to prep it and move on but you know, definitely been an interesting time uh here with COVID and hopefully we're on the other side of this thing pretty soon, double M. So we can start getting crowds back into the arena. So yep, we can start yep. getting the boys and those reactions. All yeah, it's just it's it's just Concert's necessary. Good. Yeah. Oh my god. I, mean, I miss a good concert more than anything right now. But hopefully we're hopefully we're close. Hopefully we're very, very close.
1: Well, I got a big decision to make. I, I went on the classic rock cruise, the legends of rock cruise specifically, right before COVID. And now I'm debating whether to go again next February deep purple is the headline.
0: Oh man. A little perfect strangers and smoke on for the me, water. For me
1: that, yeah, I, maybe Shane Douglas could go with me for perfect strangers. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I, I went last year because my favorite band ever who probably no one out has ever heard of UFO. Never heard of them. Yeah. See, there you go. Get get on YouTube. Listen to too hot to handle. You'll like it. I'm in. But, I'm uh, in. I went on the cruise to see them and, uh, and, uh, a group called Angel, the original hair band from the 70s. I know I'm boring people with music talk now, but uh, like you, Mike, I can't wait to get back to a live concert. That's such a big part of my life.
0: I'm 100% there with you just to, just to be out and kind of be amongst people again. I think a lot of folks are looking forward to Mark. I want to talk about something that happened this week on NXT TV. So, You know it was teased on nxt tv that regal was going to come out and make a couple huge announcements concerning nxt first of which being that nxt takeover will also be a two-night event leading into wrestlemania and they also crowned the first ever nxt women's tag champions raquel gonzalez and dakota kai who won the first women's dusty cup and then an hour later they dropped the titles to ember moon and shotzi blackheart um it, it, and it kind of got me thinking about some stuff. I just saw your reaction. You know, the women's division at WWE, so great. I would argue that it's the best of any of the promotions out there.
1: I, I think that women's division in WWE is the best part of WWE, especially when it's booked properly. Yeah. Sometimes it leaves a bit to be desired in that regard. Uh, but I enjoy watching the women with Charlotte and Sasha And Bayley, even the the girls in NXT who don't have quite the name recognition value yet, they're just delightful performers. But I didn't like what happened in the scenario you described because, A, I'm not sure we need more titles. I'm just not sure that, that any promotion does itself a favor at this point by adding more championships. The championships that already exist are horribly diluted. Second, when new championships don't have credibility in the first place because they're new to flip them an hour after they're introduced does I nobody a favor I agree. not the belts not the girls who lost them not the girls who won them it does nobody a favor and i can't believe they did that when, when i saw that mike i was like wait a minute what did they like it was so far off the wall you couldn't comprehend that it happened
0: no it was pretty wild and you know, I guess what uh, the week prior, Dakota and and uh, Raquel Gonzalez had a chance against Nia Jackson, Shayna Baszler. There was some sort of screwy finish, and I guess this is kind of, you know, storyline-wise, what spurned the creation of these titles. But I kind of got to thinking, Mark, you know, between Raw, SmackDown, the you know NXT Women's Division, and all these titles, would it just make more sense, and would it make for a better product and presentation for WWE? Should the women have their own show?
1: That's an interesting question, Mike. Uh, First off, I think if they did, I think it would be a great show. I think from beginning to end, especially if you did an hour. If you did an hour and just packed it with action and exploited the top end of the card, well, I don't know. Now I'm, I'm, I'm thinking out loud here. They have so many talented women in WWE. I don't know if you want to limit it to just spot spotlighting the, th- the performers at the top, but uh, I think you can get away with two I think hours. It would be a great show, first and foremost.
0: Agreed. Ag- agreed across the board. The talent is there. And and there, there's no better talent out there than the talent that are across all three brands at WWE. It's there.
1: Yeah, but by the same token, and let's see if you agree with this while their talent across all three brands is extremely deep. I'm not sure it's quite deep enough to be spread across all three brands.
0: 100%. I, I, you know, and I think what what, what you're seeing, Mark, is that you, you know each show, Ron SmackDown and NXT, they all have their own champions, but you're only dealing with a pool of, you know, six to seven additional women on each show. So you're kind of just going through the cycle of your champion, right? It's almost like your champion's got a quarterly opponent. And then you come back around and revisit old stories again. I think if you put everyone together, uh, number one, you're going to kind of increase the value of your title. You don't need two separate tag titles, you know, for your brands. And you really have a great chance to tell some great stories and really mix it up with characters you haven't seen interacting yet.
1: Well, if they did do a women's show, I'd like to see one world champion, one uh, B champion, whether it's, you know, the equivalent of Intercontinental or whatever. And one tag champion, and keep it really simple and really tight. But then again, Mike, I'm hearing myself talk. I say this about every promotion, men, women, I want less titles. I want the titles to mean more. I want uh, the feuds over those titles to be about the title first and foremost. But all we do now is personal issues. I mean, don't get me wrong, that's the lifeblood of wrestling too. But there's a happy medium and that's just not the way wrestling is anymore. Well, I think that's the, not the way the people who run it want it.
0: No, and I think to your point Mark, I think the value of a title kind of went by the wayside because it kind of if if you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it was always my perception growing up and even being involved in the business that the the talent would work themselves to get to a certain point, right? Like if you want to use examples, you know, Bret Hart went from, you know, a tag worker who achieved tag team success, became a champion, became a single Worked his ass off, became Intercontinental Champion, which was the workhorse title. US Championship was the equivalent for the NWA. And then eventually made the way up to WWE Champion. And it was, you know, it, I wouldn't say that it was the the title that made the man, but it was almost, they met each other on equal footing.
1: You know, where- Yes, Brent you was, worked your way up the ladder. Yeah, and where Bret was and in his career, he like, was there. You, you could you could also counter that with the guy who just skipped steps in the ladder which kind of put a rocket up his backside and made him a star right away. It didn't happen often, but when you did that, it meant something too. 100%. There was just kind of a procedure that was followed, and when it wasn't followed, it meant something. But now, just that path is so haphazard.
0: It's fl- it's flipped now, Mark. It's flipped, and now like it's haphazard because now it seems like promotions are counting on the title to make the man. Whoever you know may be the anointed one or somebody that you just want to give a little something to. You put a title on them in the hopes that the title is going to elevate them, but more often than not, it doesn't really do that.
1: Well, I, I disagree, Mike. I don't think the titles mean anything at all anymore. I mean, Th- that, uh, that, that, that's that's my that's my point, Mark. Is that yeah, the Vince titles Russo are made, said yeah, they, they were just props when I worked right. with him in WCW, and now everybody seems to think that way. Look at even AEW; they're doing uh, title versus title, Omega versus Rich Swan. Right. I'm sorry, there's nobody out there that sees Rich Swan on Kenny Omega's level. No, no. And it it just shows that the titles don't mean anything. They're just, you know, creating a match based on those titles. But I'm not sure the match means anything at all. And again, that's no knock on Rich Swan. I think he's a decent performer. But, you know, to act like that is title versus title, you have to have two guys who are perceived as equals. And really, that match... If the titles meant anything anymore, I'd say they're being devalued by that match, but they don't, so they're not.
0: Right. And I would imagine you've got to come up with some sort of screwy finish because is it going to do AEW and impact any favors to have Kenny with both titles? You know what I heard they're going to do, Mike? What's that? I heard
1: this time the ring's going to explode. <laughs>
0: Well, if they need a good pyro guy, I can point them in the right direction. But, yeah, I mean, my, my, my point, Mark, was more so the title was expected to make somebody. And that's where it kind of evolved to. And that evolution of doing, you know, booking that way has almost – has not almost, it's lessened the value of the title. So it would be great to kind of see stuff restored to prominence. But back to the women's division, I really think personally the women would shine. They would have a bigger spotlight because, look, while they are given longer segments, segments now on Raw SmackDown and NXT – You know, it's still monopolized more by the men. Um, You know, and I get it because the men have a deeper roster. The women's roster on each show, like I said, is smaller. But I think the women will deliver. If you give them their own show, their own platform, let them really run things without a division that's so diluted with titles. Let everything kind of have some value. I think the product would be something that the people would kind of clamor to. And I I think it could really do some good business for WWE. People would find
1: it. 100%. People would find the product. Whereas now, honestly, for the spectators who aren't interested in women's wrestling, cuz some aren't, and you can't make them. No. But, but it seems like when there's a women's match in the middle of Raw, unless it's two very top performers, it feels like a sorbet to cleanse the palate. Right, It well, feels like you're just taking a break from what you know, X amount of fans really wanna see, and, and that's not a knock on the women, I'm the opposite. I feel like half the time the men's matches are the break from what I wanna see. I'm a big fan. Like I said, it's my favorite part of WWE is the women's division. But uh, I think you're right. I agree. I think a women's TV show could give the division more clarity and focus. And by subtraction would give the men's division more clarity and more focus. But you would have to obviously use the women at Mania, at the pay-per-views. You couldn't. I don't think you could have a separate pay-per-view for them more than once a year like they have had in the past
0: yeah evolution man that was a that was a, a phenomenal show and it just it it was the right show at the right time because everything that was just going on in society which you know look as history has shown us that's when wrestling is almost at its best when there is this you know reflection in the product of what's going on in the world around it and at the time there was such a there was such a strong movement for equality for women in pro sports and in the world in general, which has been long overdue. But to see, you know, that that rally cry kind of make its way into WWE and eventually culminate with evolution. What a phenomenal night and being able to just to see the the pride and the joy on each of the women's faces. You know, it's it's something that I, I guarantee that's probably a, a milestone moment in everyone's careers, regardless of the level of their participation in that show just a phenomenal show. And I think it's something that WWE can deliver on. And look, you've got all these new avenues now in terms of you know, content consumption. It doesn't necessarily have to live on a traditional TV platform like you know, Raw and SmackDown are right now. Look, you've got a new partnership with Peacock. I'm sure they're looking for new WWE content. You have YouTube, which is an avenue that I wish more people will explore. Mm-hmm. AEW made their maiden voyage last night, and we'll talk about that in a second. But there really are different avenues out there that you can really push new products uh, onto the onto the masses and really help, just kind of just just give the give give these women the spotlight that they deserve. And I think it's a great time for WWE to try something even more innovative if they were to go with a women's show.
1: Yeah, uh, I agree. But you would have to get the women's show on a network, on cable. it would have to be a major platform. You couldn't do it on YouTube if you're going to take the women off Raw, SmackDown, and NXT. If you're gonna make it separate, it has to be on an equal platform. See, I see,
0: and, and look, and, and, and I think that's kind of you know, forgive the saying, I think it's an almost like a like an, an old school mentality, you know, right? Like that YouTube and social platforms are kind of lesser than. And look, while they're not Oh being, no, no, that's
1: not what I'm implying, like, no, no, no. that's I, what other people will imply. It would be a PR nightmare. If you took the women off Raw smacked on NXT and put them on YouTube. I
0: I agree and that, and that, and that's that's the point, right? Is that like people need to stop looking at that as a step down. You know, look at the look at the broad. right now scale. they do. Yeah, and and they do, but I think the, the audiences and people in general just need to be educated on what these new avenues can provide. I mean, you know, yes. look, outside of look, the Pat McAfee show, we're destroying YouTube right now and we're having a blast doing it, but like you know, even outside of the business that I'm part of, stuff that I've seen on the outside, I've got nephews that are, you know, five and four years old that are obsessed with these kids that open toys on YouTube. And these kids and their family are raking in insane amounts of money, you know, high subscriber rates and everything else in between. It makes, you know, I want to start having kids just so I can have them fucking open toys and take videos of them doing it. And, you know, just make them into child performers. But you know, the, the, the world is a different place. And I think we need to, we need to do the best to educate folks, you know, that, Hey, this isn't a step down. This is actually a step into the future. Everyone's cutting the cord Mark. Like you're seeing a lot more trends of people just ditching traditional cable because number one, the, the, the rates are out the ass, but it's just the way that we consume content now. And once the world open back, opens back up and everyone's on the go, you know, why can't you have a successful, a product that
1: lives in a digital or streaming space. 100% agreed, but until the world figures that out, that can't be where the women's show is. Fuck them, we're going to educate them. Well, it might take longer than just the remainder of this podcast, Mike, (laughs) but we'll certainly do our best. Hey, one thing I want to backtrack to, you mentioned uh, Impact before. Yes. And uh, I I know that it's not the most watched show, but I do watch it, and I think they do a wonderful job with what they have. I think Scott Damore And Jimmy Jacobs and the creative team there make the most out of their resources more than any other product in wrestling right now. And I think we all see how great Don Callis is. I think him and Kenny Omega with that crossover stick they're doing with AEW are one of the most solid acts in wrestling today. I thought the promo Don cut uh, about the failed explosion uh, on AEW last week was the promo that should have been cut in the ring right after the explosion. Exactly what should have happened on their feet, but, but Don was great. That Bachwinkle Heenan vibe, him and Kenny Have is tremendous. But uh, two performers I wanna mention. There was a match on, on uh, Impact recently, Ace Austin and Chris Bay. And it was a tremendous match. Those two guys are so good. In fact, I think Ace Austin is the best performer in wrestling, not in WWE or AEW right now. He's 24 years old, great look, great work, good persona. I hope somebody snaps him up or I hope impact rises higher based on, you know, his presence among others. But those guys had a great match and I'm a big Ace Austin fan. Uh, and I'm not saying that cause he's my friend. He's not. In fact, I met him once at an indie show in Pittsburgh and he shook my hand like, well, I can't quite place where this old fat fuck comes from, but I think <laughs> he did something and, uh, and that's it. But I think he's just a tremendous performer. Chris Bay, is right there too i think that's a real good wrestling show and hats off to them i enjoy watching them i still watch roh uh product like that where they have to think outside the box and try a few different things they serve themselves well by doing that like roh now with that pure wrestling yeah i'll be honest a lot of it i don't get but it's something different and i enjoy it so uh you know we're going to talk mostly about WWE and AEW on this podcast, but we're not going to ignore that stuff either.
0: No, we can't. I mean, look, and Chris Bay also is another talent that folks had their eye on. I think he went through a free agent spell uh, pretty recently, and people were wondering where he was going to wind up. He's uh, he's another tremendous talent that folks should keep their eye on because I think he will he will yes. eventually do some big things in the business uh, once he gets uh, himself into a you know an, uh, an AEW or a WWE. They're doing great stuff down there. Um, you know you mentioned Jimmy Jacobs, Jimmy, I had, I got, I got the the chance to work with him while he was at WWE An unbelievably brilliant, brilliant guy just has an amazing mind for all things within the business. And you saw that at the, you know, with the work that he was doing way back in ring of honor. Uh, I believe their group was the rise of the fall. If I, I, I may be wrong there, but it was, you know, Jimmy
1: he Jacobs. He was a zombie princess. Him.
0: Yeah. Wild, but you know, just, he just an unbelievable mind for the business and a great asset. I'm sure to that impact team, um, You know, I I, I need to kind of get myself a little bit further back into their product. Kind of fell off for a little bit there, but I do want to kind of give them more eyes because they do have just a talented, talented pool of people that they're working with.
1: Well, again, that gets back to what you said about, you know, YouTube and uh, they're on Twitch. That's where I watch them. Yeah. When when Miro's not playing games on Twitch, I watch Impact Wrestling. (laughs) And uh, again, I want those platforms to be equal and maybe someday they will be. But anything, as an old man, as a 60-year-old, anything like that I have to find, there's a chance I might not, that I'm too lazy to do it. Like my watching impact is a conscious effort on my part because I really like it. But but some of the stuff I watch and eventually become addicted to is because I happen to be flipping the dial on cable. Sure. And, and so until, until people younger than me, and that's almost everybody, until they get conditioned to watch YouTube and Twitch and all those other platforms. That's why if they did do to backtrack a WWE women's show, it would have to be on an equal platform to I, start.
0: I think if there was anybody that could do it, it would be Vince. Uh, you know, look, everyone thought Vince was crazy when he opted to take WWE pay-per-views off of traditional pay-per-view. Yes. And to make the network a thing. And, you know, look, you would you can argue that the network is pretty much the blueprint for a lot of streaming services, especially OTT streaming services out there right now, uh, because it was really the first of its kind and really laid the groundwork for a lot of folks to follow. So I think if there's anyone that could launch a women's division on a streaming platform, it's definitely Vince.
1: Yes, for sure. Hey, um, one thing I wanna talk about is AEW. Um, I hear there's a little bit of friction because the announcers, in a particular Jim Ross, when they see something on TV that doesn't work, or they don't like, they're kind of dismissive of it.
0: Yeah, JR has been you, a little critical. It, right? Oh Yeah, JR is a little critical. There are moments sometimes where you'll watch a show and you'll just hear JR go, well, well I don't know what that was. But uh, I'm, I'm sure he thought it was good when he did
1: it. Yeah, or I guess that was a punch. I think he had had a
0: shot at Jericho at the pay-per-view. Well, Chris, that was probably the ugliest Judas elbow that Chris has ever thrown, but,
1: you know, whatever. Yeah, and uh, I'm told that that, uh, ownership was not necessarily thrilled with that.
0: Well, I can't imagine anybody (laughs) in any position, regardless of the company, would be too thrilled with your lead announcer just openly burying your product on the air.
1: Well, he's not quite burying, though. I will say in defense of Jim, what he's saying is true, but then again, a lot of the stuff I said... On WCW, that was true, got me a lot of heat. So yeah. so I think there's a fine line, but when you're Jim Ross, the greatest announcer ever, I also think you have him out there because he knows so much and has seen so much. And as a viewer, I don't mind hearing what he thinks of what's going on because, let's face it, Mike, we've totally buried the concept of kayfabe forever. <laughs> Nobody thinks sure. they're really punching each other. So why not? Let's hear what Jim has to say about stuff like that. But is there and ser- part of the problem too? Is they have three play-by-play guys.
0: Yeah, and we'll, we'll get let's it. Not, we, let's we, not
1: act like they don't stumble
0: over each other no. because they're all used to doing the same you, job. Mark, you can see it in their on cameras. Their on cameras are actually sometimes very uncomfortable because you it, yes. there's almost a uh, a tug of war, if you will, between who's going to do what. Because, like you said, there's three A players. There's three lead announcers there. And the other two aren't, you know, whichever mix of the other two, they aren't comfortable working in that that's, you know, color role or the analyst role. They're all three leads, and, you know, the way you, you know, strong producing is what fixes that. And I'm not sure how they're being produced, if they're being produced at all, if they're just relying on three strong announcers to go out there and just do the job. But in a situation like that, you need some, you need an offensive coordinator calling the plays in the booth down to the guys on the field. You
1: absolutely need it. You know what else you need, Mike? You need a color guy. And they need to take one of those guys out of the mix and put them on dark or whatever and put a color guy in there because when Taz jumps on Mike, who is a traditional heel color announcer, right? Yep. That's when the announcing sounds the most normal. Yeah, yeah. And and
0: look, I I love the work that Taz did uh, for that – for that cinematic match with Darby Allen and Tremendous. Yeah, Tremendous. He, he reminded me of Bobby Heenan calling the 92 Royal rumble, just, you know, going ape shit over everything for flair. You know, that's not fair to flair and everything yes. else in between. But I think Mark, if you do want to stick with that, you know, that, that trio that you have on dynamite right now of Shivani Jr and Excalibur, you said it best bell to bell. There's probably nobody history, no, nobody better in the history of the business than Jim Ross. Nobody can tell right. a story. No one can, can eat, you know, just, just, just give you that raw emotion that JR can to really convey a story. Shivani uh, to me is just as sharp as he was when he was at WCW and Excalibur is a guy that's got a lot of potential. I think you need to transition Excalibur to an analyst role. Let Excalibur kind of hit you there. And I think
1: maybe even let him be a heel a little bit.
0: Yeah. And I think, look,
1: give the traditional dichotomy that's worked forever.
0: I see. I'm not overly familiar with his work from PWG, which I believe is where he came from pro wrestling Gorilla out yes, in California, me neither. but I, you know, does he have that heel in him? You know what I mean? Like you look at a guy like Corey Graves, right? Like we talked about how Corey and Michael Cole, probably the best tandem in the business right now. Um, they have, you know, Corey's got that heel edge to him and he does not have to go overt and be, be over the top. Does Excalibur have that in him? And if so, you know, let's, let's, let's give the guy a run but you got Jim Ross out there on the desk. And look, JR doesn't have to lead the charge, but let JR take that analyst role. And like you said, offer what he can offer in terms of inside of the business, even though, or let him even do color. But the way Jim can tell stories is unbelievable. And let that guy go out there and do his thing. There's just gotta be, there needs to be one sort of, there needs to be a uniform vision on how these guys are gonna work. And that doesn't seem to be the case right now. Because like you said, Everything just is kind of disarray because it's three guys that are just kind of going at each other because they're both, they're all doing what they're used to
1: doing. Well, let me paint a parallel because I want this to in no way be interpreted as me knocking any of the three members of that announce team because they're all brilliant. I think the three greatest announcers ever in wrestling, play by play guys, are Ross, Shabani, and Lance Russell in some order. And Excalibur uh, just won that award uh, in Dave's newsletter where I think two or three dozen people voted for it. So, obviously, his credentials are beyond reproach. And yeah. I'm making fun of the vote, not Excalibur. Excalibur no, no, no. is extremely good. But I'll give you an example. I cover the Pittsburgh Penguins here for the radio station. We are the home of the Penguins, W X D X F M. 105.9 the X. Coming up next, Nirvana. Uh, but uh, we have two of the best players in hockey and have had for over a decade, Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. Sometimes in desperate situations, we put them both on the same line. They stink. They can't play together. Power plays different, but five on five when they play together, they're both centers. So one has to play out of position. Does this anyway sound familiar with the AEW announcing desk? 100% one has to play out of position and they just don't function together as well as you'd figure they would given their talent and pedigree. So you know what the Penguins do? They almost never play them together five on five. Okay, it's not just about talent. It's not just about reputation it's about fit and I'm not sure that desk really fits like it could or should.
0: No. And, and, you know, it kind of goes back to what's, what's the vision, what's the direction, is there direction at all? Or are you just hoping that you're going to take these three, you know, two legends and a, and a guy who's got a chance to make a, a pretty good living for himself in the business. Are you just putting them out there and hoping that they're going to do what they do and figure it out on their own? Who knows?
1: Well, what I would do is it's easy for me to say, cause it's not my money. Well, it's not really Tony's money either. Uh, <laughs> I, I would get another another hour network TV, which I'm sure they plan to do at some point, and have Ross and Shivani be each the play-by-play guy on one or the other. And then Excalibur, I would transition to be a color guy because I think he's got the talent and the mic skills to pretty much do anything. And then I would get a heel color commentator for the, for the other spot. Uh, so that's what I would do. Maybe they'll eventually do that. But uh, I think part of the problem – and again, I haven't talked to Jim – in months. And I'm gonna read his mind here. I wonder if Jim's disappointed by the fact that the product at AEW is not as advertised before it ever, you know, put the ring up. It was supposed to be the promotion that was based on real sports. Right. And it's not. Even the even the records, the one lost, they kind of swept that by the wayside. They they barely have ever mentioned that anymore, Mike. Now it's just a different version of the way WWE does things. It's WWE with longer matches and, and more spots. But it, but in terms of the presentation, the storylines, it's not real sports. No, it's traditional sports entertainment, and I can't help but wonder if Jim is disappointed by that. I know he's making more money than anybody you know in his position ever has, so that'll that'll console you late at night with your Moscow Mule. But uh, I wonder if he's a bit disappointed. I wonder if Jim's vision in his mind, given that I'm sure he has input on the product, I wondered if he expected to be mid south. From when he started, I would because have, I'll be honest, Mike. That's kind of what I expected. Well, I, and I would I'm not imagine necessarily that necessarily disappointed by this, but that's what I thought it would be. Closer to that than what it's turned out to be. I would imagine that, Mark.
0: But I, you know, I as spending as much time around Jr. as I did, you know, coming up, Jr. loves the business and I, and and especially the traditional aspects of the business that you know uh, you you would hear from guys like Pat Patterson, you know, coming along, and I think. What's miss? I think what Jr's gripe is, and again, this is just assumption. This is not me speaking for Jim.
1: Well, no, we hear the gripes on the air, though.
0: Yeah, but if you I notice, mean, there's it's, no it,
1: denying it, that he's made some comments that lead you to believe he's not thrilled with some of the things he's seeing.
0: Right, and it comes from you know, look, let's let's face it, and look, I've never been a worker, but you know, I've, I've got a keen eye for this shit. Nobody sells. Everything's very much, you know, spot to spot to spot to spot. There's no real story. It's just cool shit for the sake of doing cool shit. I'll
1: stop and, you when I disagree.
0: And those are two things that you know I think Jim looks at and just and just is, is in disgust. And I think a lot of times when he's calling out whiffs and stuff like that, you know, Jim doesn't like loose work. And you know, I I get it. It's 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 a it's it's entertainment, you and you can't don't want to kill the him guys
1: right that like you can't no. tell him that. No and, and and look I'm sure
0: I'm sure I'm sure I'll have folks to send on me from Twitter you know what the fuck do you know you've never been in the ring you're 100% right I don't know but as someone that's produced you know countless hours of wrestling television and worked with guys like JR and countless other legends in the game I know the the, the psychology is something that those guys imparted on me and a lot of what AEW does lacks psychology and I'm sure they fancy themselves a group that are very much you know in tune with wrestling and in tune with with you know, telling great stories and, you know, things of that nature, it's not there and I haven't seen it yet. There are glimpses of it in guys like Moxley and and, uh, Eddie Kingston who fucking did a phenomenal job of digging themselves out of that lack of an exploding barbed wire ring match, but there's only glimpses. There aren't true signs of this is, you know, this is the wrestling business because at the end of the day, the wrestling business is great stories that are told through these matches, and I think a lot of that shit's missing and that's what gets JR.
1: But it's missing because the guys don't think it's necessary.
0: 100. Well, look, look, you know, and look, when you're when you're your own boss, who's going to tell you otherwise?
1: Well, I'll give you I'll give you a story about an indie show I was at a few years ago. And there were two participants. And I I don't know for sure they were. I think it was member A.C.H. Yes. Where's he at now? Is he
0: Uh, he's uh, (laughs) I'm not sure. I'm not entirely sure where where he wound up. I don't know. Did he go back to Impact? Or is I don't he in, know. He may I, be a anyway,
1: Who knows? The fact that we don't know tells you all you need to know. And Sugar Dunkerton, who I think is now Pineapple Pete, correct? I believe so. Yeah. Okay, so, so uh, they work this match at this local promotion, IWC, which is really good. It's it's Sammy Guevara's work there. Ace Austin works there now. Uh, that's where Wardlow came from, and Doctor Britt Baker.
0: Oh, great!
1: That's where they cut their teeth. So it's it's really solid stuff. It's a fun watch. So I was talking with these two guys after their match, right? And they said, and they'll probably deny having said this because everybody does. What did you think? And I go, well, I go, first off, slow down. I never worked, but I, you're, you're going too fast. And they looked to me already like I'm an idiot. Yeah. And then I said there was one spot, and I forget which did which, but one guy came off the top rope to the floor. And the other guy sidestepped him, grabbed his head, and rammed it into the steel barrier that surrounded the ring. Okay, Mike, they were up 15 seconds later going to their next spot. Uh... And I said, guys, I go, that could have killed you hitting your head off the rail after plummeting from the top turnbuckle. And they looked at me like I was the biggest idiot in the world. They go, "Nah, man, that's what the fans want to see. I go, really? I go, is it what Vince McMahon wants to see? But maybe he does. I mean, maybe it's changed so much, Mike. No, that but the stuff we applied to it, the old values, maybe they don't matter at all anymore. No, I mean, Mark, they,
0: the the problem is, is that they do, and they do matter wholeheartedly. Look at look at a guy like Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar's his last go around, if you will. Like, right, once he came back to WWE, Brock came back a different performer altogether. Outside of the fact that he's probably the most, you know, in like awe-inspiring physical specimen that's ever stepped into a wrestling ring. No disrespect to the late Andre the Giant or anything. But Brock is a fucking once-in-a-lifetime athlete. What, yes. What makes Brock so special outside of his physical attributes and his working style is the way Brock can sell.
1: And yeah. I would well, and argue – And because Brock has no ego. No. Well, he I would, sees it as a business period. He right. doesn't mind doing jobs. He just – he's – he's you know, it's weird. Buddy, but but Mark – He's the guy you'd figure wouldn't be the consummate professional – but he is he, and he's, he's the real guy he's a but business, he, still does business. He, he's, he is a gift to wrestling
0: he's a businessman and he understands all that all that's necessary but there's nobody better in the business at selling than Brock Lesnar Brock Lesnar phenomenal seller Randy Orton can sell his ass off Shawn Michaels another guy that goes down and you know the history books one of the best sellers of all time Ric Flair you, you can go on and on and on and on and on and on but how do you suspend disbelief like you said, if two guys are taking a dive over the top, they're hitting their heads on the guardrail, two seconds later, they're back up and moving into another sequence. Like, there's no there's no believability. So, you know, how am I supposed to connect with you if you're not giving me an opportunity to, if you're just worried about what your next sequence is gonna be? There it, there, there seems to be more of a direction of, let me get a holy shit shitter, this is awesome chant, as opposed to, how are you gonna connect to my character that's gonna allow you to invest in me that much more?
1: Here, here's a great story in that regard, by the way, now, now if we're going to be on youtube i gotta like spray my hair this is just starting to piss me off that this hair keeps falling in my eyes for god's sake
0: no you got a good flow you got a good good flow
1: for for, a, for an old man yeah. yeah it's a good flow uh but but uh we were at, at wcw two of the cruiserweights and i forget who they were had a great match like you know it was you know all these bumps all these spots they did what we're talking about mike they didn't rest they didn't you know they didn't slow down but they just did this this thrill ride for like, you know, eight minutes on TV and it was great, right? Sure. They came back through the curtain and Scott Hall said to them, yo guys, great match. Now I'm going to go out there and grab a headlock and get a much bigger pop. And you know what? That's all Scott because he, he had no filter. Absolutely right. There's more to this than just the spots and it's been not totally forgotten, but largely ignored is a fair way to put it.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's, it's largely been ignored because, you know, I guess, look, every, that instantaneous holy shitter, this is awesome, seems to be what everyone's working for these well, days. But
1: then, then again, like when you got Edward R. Murrow given five and six spots and people wallow in that, you know, based on winning an award a couple dozen people vote for, you know, what do you expect them to feel? That's just the way the business is perceived by a lot of guys now. You're still pretty hot
0: that he blocked you last week on Twitter, huh?
1: yeah, Melcher blocked me on Twitter. He's taken my money for over thirty years, but now he blocked me on Twitter because I called him out for being just horribly condescending and and uh, well, I don't know if I called him unprofessional in that regard, but the thing about Dave is, and you know what's funny, he's become flavored du jour not only among the marks, but among the boys. Ooh. when the boys used to pretend he didn't exist and and you know the marks it used to be their little secret that they got the observer. And now less people get it than ever, but it seems like a bigger deal than ever. And, you know, that's the today's, you know, compliment because he's made a good living out of it. I don't know how many subscribers he has right now. I know only about 1,200 people voted for his awards. You know, uh, Tony Khan acted like he won an Oscar. An award to 1,200 dirt – did I say 12,000? I meant 1,200. 1,200 dirt sheet readers Wrote for. And at the end of the day, all the guy does is a dirt sheet. He's not Dan Rather. He's not Edward Armor. He's not Woodward and Bernstein. 85% of the time, Mike, though, he's very accurate what he reports. But 15% of the time, he holds stuff out. He protects people. He lets his, you know, prejudices and friendships shine through. Sure. And you know what? In wrestling, 85% ain't a bad ratio. You know, in a business built on a lie, if you tell the truth 85% of the time, that's pretty good. But, you know, except for when he worked for Frank DeFord, I guess he worked for Yahoo some, too. But with the Observer, he's never had a boss. Whatever he wants to get in there gets in there. And don't get me wrong, he's a self-made man, and that's to his credit. But that still allows you to practice, quote-unquote, journalism in a different way. Right. Here's another story. i never told this one before, Mike. Okay. As many know, I had great animosity with Bruno San Martino. You, uh, and, Bruno, you and Bruno had heat. Just horrible heat, okay? Wow. At the Brian Hildebrand, remember Mark Curtis, the referee? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. There was a famous benefit show for him at the Rostrave Rice Guards near Pittsburgh that brought in performers from WWE, WCW, and ECW to all work together, which was unheard of, obviously. And I helped organize it. Me, Shane Douglas, and Mick Foley. I did my radio show live from uh, the arena the day of publicized it in the days and weeks leading up. Uh, obviously, the name sold the tickets, but I helped. I made sure people knew it was out there, and I have no regret, obviously. Brian, Brian grew up on the same street as me in the same neighborhood. I've known Brian since we were kids, and he's the best guy ever that worked in wrestling. Not just a great referee, which he was, but a true student in the business. Everybody loved him. I loved him. I miss him horribly to this day. Just I can't say enough good about Mark Curtis, a.k.a. Brian C. Hildebrand. So at the last minute, they add Bruno on the show. Bruno accosts me backstage and threatens me. Threatens me. You better get out of here right now, you fat piece of shit. You talk to me that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And nobody stuck up for me, so I left. I'll be blunt, I was terrified. He could have killed me. You know what I mean? Yeah, that sure. shows what the low rent stooge Bruno is to run a guy out of a charity event he helped organize, because with Bruno, it was always about Bruno. So where did the
0: beef between you guys originate?
1: I'm getting to that, I'm getting to that. To be Bruno's friend, you had to be a stooge, period. And and more complied than not, okay? Years and years ago, I'm talking back in the 80s, Mike, I was a writer for the Pittsburgh Post Gazette, right? Okay. And I wrote a story about Bruno, and this is when Bruno and I were on good terms, doing an anti-steroid speaking tour. And talking about how bad things were, not just in wrestling, but in other sports, right? Sure. So. I've been told, well, everybody knew that Bruno's son had been popped for steroids at that point. Is this David? David, the one who wrestled, Bruno Jr., quote unquote. Yep. Everybody knew he'd been popped for steroids. But what people didn't know that I knew through assembling the story, but did not put in the story, and my bosses didn't want in the story. One of Bruno's other sons ran track in college. And apparently, and I don't recall the exact circumstances, but he had been investigated for PET uses is, is, you know, in, in that. I've been told that. And I never, and, and Mike, I didn't use it because I never confirmed it 100%. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, in the story, but, but I did, you know, I did, I was told that, okay? Don't know 100% is true, so I didn't use it. Don't know now if it's 100% true. But in conversation with Dave, because I talked with Dave then, you know, I, I talked about that, okay? Dave puts it in the observer okay didn't cite me put it in the observer okay bruno calls dave up and is in a rage you know what dave does he says oh mark madden told me that oh wow so he cited you in a completely different he, way he sold, out, he sold out an unnamed source right like like journalists never do like i've never done i went to the supreme court because i refused to do that that case with the ww hotline sure copyright infringement. we'll talk about that at some point dave gave me up like it was nothing and the next thing you know i'm bruno's enemy for life wow okay and that's an absolutely true story dave did it because he was scared of bruno and don't get me wrong i'm scared of bruno too but you don't give up your source you just don't do that and dave did that 100 and i have never talked about that till now mike because i was saving it in case i ever did a a podcast no I, I i never talked about it because like a lot of people i just tell dave in such high esteem as the washington post You know, the paper of record for wrestling. And I ignored some of his shortcomings, but now I'm just not going to do that anymore. I'm just not going to do that anymore. And if you want to say he's a great reporter, over time he has proven that he mostly is, but he's lost his fastball now. He's just, he's too aligned with AEW. Not paid, he would never do that, but he's too aligned with Tony Khan.
0: The the, the feud between you two, or the ever-growing feud between you two, you know, look, I'm a I'll, I'll say I, I would. I would love to have the two of you have an open debate here uh, on our beloved show, the so Best Wrestling Show. All Wrestler he would show say,
1: Mike, eat. is that all he would say when he says about Bischoff all the time, that I'm a character looking to get a reaction. That's such bullshit. It's. It's. I almost hate to dignify it by repeating it. Well, I would like every, every single thing I say I mean on the radio on this podcast when I write for the Trib. Every single thing I say I mean.
0: Yeah, and look. I think the two of you having a nice head-to-head uh, could be entertaining Could be entertaining show for all of us. And, you know, look, Dave Meltzer, if you're listening, the invitation's out there, my friend. You let us know. Not if- for
1: me, it's not. <laughs> not for me, it's not. That ship has long since sailed. Allow the neutral party to
0: broker the deal then, because I think it would make for an entertaining, entertaining listening and viewing for our audience. Uh, I am kind of curious, though, to see what Dave will write about Tony Khan's phenomenal promo uh that he cut last night on aew dark elevation it seems the man that promised never to be an on-air authority figure or character has since gone back on his word mark
1: you can tell he hates it mike you can tell he does it very hesitatingly and and uh he doesn't want to do it but he feels he has to
0: yeah you know look it must must be that must be the damnedest thing to be to put yourself in that situation but the things we do for the product we love and what we want to do to
1: entertain, uh, Mark. I'd like to see him do an interview from third base. I'd like to see if he thinks he hit a triple or was born there.
0: <laughs> he advanced on a throwing error by the outfielder, but that'll be a story for us the other
1: time. <laughs> I like it.
0: But uh hey Mark, I can't thank you enough, brother. I think uh episode No no th- thank
1: you. I think this is great. I think uh I think my long-windedness and uh and uh, Hazy Memory is finally paying off.
0: Hey, I might have to call in a favor and get you and Meltzer booked for WrestleMania. The uh, I, I, I can see the steam rising off your screen right now, brother.
1: See, you're blowing it into more than it is. It's, it's more annoyance than anything. But I, I, I've worked in journalism since I was 17 years old. And I know what's important about it. I know what isn't. And uh, I think he and I share a few different viewpoints in that regard.
0: Well, I say no better place to hash it out than here. Uh, but we'll talk about that next week. And maybe we will hear from Dave. Who, you know, who knows? We
1: won't. We won't. <laughs> and put it this way. You might. I
0: can't. I'm blocked. That's right. You're still blocked. Well, you know what? Let's start well, the petition no, to get I, you I, I
1: did get a wrestling observer just today in the mail. So he's still willing to take my money.
0: Is it still a is it still a printed actual sheet? It's not like a newsletter or anything anymore. Like no, like a you can unit? you go
1: online and get it, but I still get it delivered to me. I'm a Mike. Mike, you know why Old I'm doing school. this show on Zoom, don't you?
0: Yeah, yeah. We always, I'm uh, doing
1: the show on Zoom because I couldn't assemble the stuff necessary to do it the way we're supposed to do it. But I hope to hire someone to do it by next week because that's what I do, Mike. Hey, I throw money at problems.
0: That's it. If there's an issue, no better way to fix than to throw some money at it. Uh, double M. I think that's all the time we've got for today brother for those of you, Thank listening you Mike and Crayshaw, watching us, very enjoyable hey, hey that was a fun one those of you listening and watching you know hey look subscribe to that YouTube channel be part of the action comment let us know what you like what you hate uh, iTunes Spotify everything else in between stay tuned uh, for the new social tags for the best wrestling show period I'm Mike Mitsuri he's Mark Madden we'll see you guys next week.